0: This morning, if you have your, your Bibles with you, I invite you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 3, and we'll be begin reading in verse 13 in just, in just a few minutes. I don't think it's been said yet, but I'll say it. Merry Christmas to you all. Um, it's hard to believe that we're less than a week away. I'm reminded every day by my children. Uh, there the days are counting down quickly and I, I can't believe it's it's already here. Um, this morning if you haven't uh, if you haven't read our passage this morning from First Peter chapter 3 it's it's not an explicitly Christmas passage. it's not an explicit Christmas text. it's not one that you would read or preach from uh, most of the time for, Uh, For Christmas, for a Christmas sermon. Now we'll be uh, reading some these passages in our Christmas Eve service. It's not like Isaiah 9 or Matthew 1 and 2 or Luke 1 and 2 or even John chapter 1 or or what Bill likes, the book of Ruth for Christmas and Jonah, I believe, for Christmas. Uh, It's not like those passages. Kind of, this is not as explicit as as those. It's not our sermon passage, and we usually don't diverge from, our, from our, uh, our preaching, what we've been preaching through. We're preaching through 1 Peter, so we're going to continue in 1 Peter, but I want to use Christmas as a sort of an illustration alongside our, uh, alongside of our passage this morning. Last week from verses 8 through 12, we heard uh, more exhortations, those household codes from, from Peter in verses 8 through 12, but in verses uh, 10 through 12, he brought us encouragement from Psalm 34. In fact, encouragement from verse 12 is For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. That is an encouragement to those who are following Christ, those who are being faithful in Christ. That's an encouragement. And even though you may face suffering, even though these Christians in Asia Minor might have been facing suffering and persecution and pain, it's to encourage them to remain faithful and obedient to the, to the Lord and to continue in righteousness because he is all ears to their prayers and to their needs. And the encouragement continues this morning for those who face suffering to not fear, to remember the hope that has been given to you. So remember, as we preach this this morning, it's not just people waiting for this wonderful, joyful day of Christmas to show up. It's people who are in suffering. It's people who are in pain, people who are losing, and they've been exhorted to be faithful, to continue to submit to their authorities. Back to Christmas for just a moment. Christmas is supposed to be a time of celebration. It's supposed to be a time of joy. We sang some joyful songs and upbeat chords this morning. Christmas is supposed to be happy. There's supposed to be singing and jubilation and gratitude and celebration with friends and family, good food and, <clears throat> and good drink. However, for many people, Christmas is anything but those things. Christmas for, for so many is now, nowadays just uh, more or less a big drag at the end of the year because of all the pressures to buy gifts and to go through the motions of traditions and there's lots of cleaning and there's the parties and the declarations and such. And I think certainly we all can agree that a majority of those things is just vanity. Christmas for others, though, is a reminder for many of what they have lost or what they've never had. Loss of a loved one, a loss of hope, a loss of joy, a reminder of fear, the fear of the unknown. Beloved church, despite what may be around us, despite what we may have even going on in our own lives, and in our families, despite the chaos that is, seems to be around us in our country, in our world, crime wave, inflation, unrest, natural disasters. God bless those people in Kentucky and Arkansas. The evil that we see, the moral decay, abominations, pagan worship and idolatry, Apostasy in the church. As Christians, despite those things, we still have very much to enjoy. And we have much to delight in, even in this Christmas season and beyond. So not just Christmas, but beyond, because there has been a hope that has been given to you. A hope that is none other a hope that the world, the world can't even come close to, a hope that vanquishes fear. Let's look at 1 Peter chapter 3, and let's start reading in verse 13. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you would be blessed. You will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ as Lord, as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Having a conscience, having a good conscience so that When you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. This is the word of the Lord, and may his Holy Spirit move in our hearts to hear and to see his holy, inspired, and inerrant word for his glory and our joy, amen enjoying Christmas this year and beyond that into the, the next year and the years to, to come, we may suffer, we may face persecution, we may even face hardship in this next year. Who, who knows really at this point? To endure well with whatever we face is what Peter is setting us up to be reminded over and over again In this passage, that's Peter's goal. That's the goal of the Holy Spirit, for us to be enduring well during hardship. And that's why he reminds us in verse 15 of the hope that is in you. The more that I studied and read this passage this week, I could not get out of my mind that dichotomy between being a Christian and not being a Christian. The differences come down to many things, I get and we can, we can come up with a huge list. But I believe at the center of those differences, which becomes the rudder of our lives, and that is hope. What do you hope in? Where is your hope? What is your hope? And you can tell who has it and who doesn't. Christians are to have hope. In fact, Peter has told us that the Lord has given us hope. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Chapter 1, verse 3. We are to set our hope fully on the grace that is given to us when Christ returns. We have an eschatological future hope. Chapter 1, verse 13. Hope and faith are given to us by God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Chapter 1, verse 21. And lastly, wives who adorn themselves with godliness will be like the holy women who hoped in God. Chapter 3, verse 5. Hope essentially is a dividing line between Christians and non-Christians. Hope sets us apart. We see in our passage this morning that it is hope, in what is our hope is what will draw in the lost. It draws unbelievers to ask for you to tell them about the hope that is in you. And why you believe what you believe. Why do you hope this way when these things are happening to you or happening around you? Hope is a dividing line. Hope is what will divide as well, we see in this passage, right? It divides us. Our hope, our living hope, is what will bring hostility. Hope is what will draw the lost Hope is what will bring hostility, and yet it is still hope that though we may suffer in this life, we know that Christ is our hope and that he is the resurrected Son of God. Brothers and sisters, if I may, you can enjoy Christmas this year and beyond because you have been given a hope that is in you. A hope that overcomes fear, that endures well to the end and has joy. We have this great hope. And so Peter tells us to not fear. He says to honor Christ as Lord and to always be ready. So first, the first imperative that we are given is that we are to... Uh, uh, to um, the first prayer to a living according to the hope that is in us is that we are to not have fear, to fear not. Again, remember the goal of First Peter. I just mentioned it. The goal of First Peter, the purpose of First Peter, writing to these Christians and for the Holy Spirit to us, is that we would endure well. And that as we face trials and as we fa- may even face hardship and persecutions and may suffer, we would endure well. This was the reality of many of them. And especially when they're hearing the call by Peter to suffer and to continue to submit to the authorities around them. And as we said last week, the difficult task of living a godly life in a fallen world. Verse 13 makes this first point by asking a rhetorical question. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? That's a question with an obvious answer, because generally speaking, if a person lives with a zeal for what is good, for what is right and just and beautiful, if they are kind, if they are giving, if they're forgiving and patient and serving, how many enemies could they really have? The the answer to that question is, is that they would have very few enemies if any at all. And I believe that generally that's the case even in our day. However, verse 14 answers the question in the context of their suffering. So what about suffering? We're doing all this good, but we are still suffering. Verse 14, but even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. In other words, if your good works for righteousness sake, right? Remember, we've been talking a lot about these good works, righteousness, your good conduct, holiness, these things that give evidence that you are not of this world, but that you belong to God. He will reward you. That's what verse 14 saying is that he will reward those who are faithful with an inheritance that his son has won on their behalf and then we will receive the promised inheritance, meaning you are blessed. And even if you should suffer because you are obedient to the Lord, you would still be blessed. That's what he's saying here in verse 14. Here's what this means. This means that there's no amount of suffering that anyone can do, you, do to you or take from you that could ever change your position of blessing before the lord there's nothing that anyone can do that could that could cause you to forfeit your inheritance because you will be blessed or if you were to suffer for righteousness sake you will be blessed he's saying this to prepare He says, hey, most of the time, if you're good and you do good and you're zealous for good, then most likely there's going to be very little trouble. But if trouble does come, count yourself to be blessed. And this is why he says what he does then at the end of verse 14, which is our first imperative for hope. And that is to have no fear of them nor be troubled. Have no fear. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. What a, what a loaded command to tell a fearful people not to be fearful. We're all prone to be fearful, and given the right circumstances, we will be scared. We will be threatened. When we face adversities, when we face trials, when we face adversaries and the threats and loss. And what does that fear do? It tempts you to not trust God's rule and God's reign of here and for the future. But this is one of the most uh, common commands in all the Bible do not fear. Do not fear, but rather fear God. Moses said in Deuteronomy chapter 10, And now Israel, what does the Lord your God require? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in His ways, to love Him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. Proverbs 3, chapter 7, Be not wise in your own eyes, fear the Lord and turn from evil. You see, fear is just a part of life. It's just a question of what you are going to fear. Some of us fear spiders, bugs of all kinds. They're indiscriminate when it comes to bugs. Snakes, bears, heights, storms, the dark, clouds, public speaking, strangers, death, tight spaces, bridges, Tunnels, cancer, wars, financial ruin. Do I have to name any more? Are you shivering yet? Some fear is okay, right? Some fear is natural. Keeps us safe. It's God-given. Keeps us safe and keeps us from doing things that we we shouldn't. Peter's not speaking about those fears, though. He's speaking of the kind of fears that want to take place of your hope. The fear that he is speaking of is the fear that wants to cause you to lose the hope that you have been given the hope that is in you but as we have read the bible the bible tells us what to fear though doesn't it it says we should not fear shame we should not fear insult we should not fear loss we should not fear enemies hostilities loneliness or even death but rather we fear the Lord. The ESV or the N S A B interprets the phrase, this phrase here, have no fear of them, which is what we've been talking about, and which we've been interpreting, have no fear of those who, who want to bring suffering upon you. Have no fear of them, those who want to intimidate you and, and, and bring suffering and pain upon you because of your your, your good works, right? You're following Christ for, for righteousness' sake. The NIV says, do not fear what they fear, meaning that we should not fear the same things that they fear. Now, grammatically and theologically, both of these interpretations could be right and can be right because we should not fear them. Again, those who are trying to intimidate you to lose hope, but it's also true that as Christians, we do not fear the same things that the world fears. We do not, we no longer fear the same things that they fear. The things that we fear are, we fear the Lord. The world fears what? The world fears poverty. The world fears a lack of comfort. The world fears death and loss. The world fears false authorities. The world fears what other people will think of them. But we fear the Lord. And we know that he cares for us and that he will hold us. And therefore, all the things that the world fears should not be the things that cause us to lose hope like the world does. That's why we do not grieve like the world grieves. Society, brothers and sisters, should not decide what frightens you. Our culture should not tell you what you should be afraid of, nor should we be afraid of them. The greatest threat to our joy, to our hope, to your enduring in righteousness is fear the fear of losing family or friends, the fear of losing a job or career, the fear of losing your your health or your life or even your, your reputation. But since God is for us, and as verse 14 says, will bless us, then there is nothing for us to fear or to be troubled by in any circumstance that we may face. You know, this, this passage I'm going to read in just a minute. We We know this passage very well, but I want you to hear it in this context, the context of suffering, in the context of enduring, in the context of Christmas. And that's Romans 8, verse 31. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, How will we not also with him graciously give us all things? Bless you. Give you all things. Like what is he holding back? He's giving you his son. He didn't spare his son. I got to keep going. I can keep preaching there. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Not some dingling down the streets elect, but God's elect. Not some king around the world, not some president, not some senator or congressman, but God's elect. God's people. Who could bring any charge against you? What could they call you to separate you from God? It's God who justifies. Who can condemn you? Christ. Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. That means Christus victor. Christ has all the victory. He's won. The war is over. The war in your flesh now, the fear, the battle in your mind and in your heart, that war is done. You're just still waging these side battles. And wage it well, brothers and sisters. Wear that armor. Keep waging it. For who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness or danger, or sword, for as it is written, for your sake, you are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to the slaughter. You're going to suffer. You're going to face pain. You're going to have to endure well in a fallen world. It's not easy. It's not all cupcakes and lollipops, and we get that. We get that. We understand this. Verse 37, no. In all of these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. Blessed. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depths, nor anything else in all of creation can you think of anything else that could fit in that? There's nothing. Nothing will be able to separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Close it up. Let's go. I put too much work into it for us to go, though. (laughs) Who can really harm you if God is going to bless you? What can they really take from you if God has blessed you. What Peter is saying is that as Christians, suffering very much is likely in this world. But agreeing with Paul, it's light, and it's momentary in comparison to the eternal weight of glory that lies ahead of you. Like we gotta have more of a eternal perspective here. The eternal weight of glory that lies ahead. Brothers and sisters, the worst that can happen, and I know coming from some young guy punk like me, this could be just meaningless, but this is God's word. But what, 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 what's the worst that can happen? It's death. But when you die what you receive is your eternal inheritance that has been awaiting for you and has been held securely for you again agreeing with Paul to live with Christ but to die is gain so how does any of this now change us what now do we really have to fear Is it put in perspective, then, these things that tempt us to to fear? How about for this Christmas season, the way that we want to think about Christmas and celebrate it? How does your conduct change in light of this? How does your, your words change? How is it going to affect you this coming year? Knowing that the worst that can happen to you cannot happen. The worst that can happen to you cannot happen, meaning they cannot take away the love of God for you and what Christ has done on your behalf. They cannot take that from you. And if you have that, what else do we need? That's why Paul seems so reckless with his life. Brothers and sisters, this is why we sing the way we do. This is why we pray the way we do. This is why we preach the way we do. This is why we live the way we do. Brothers and sisters, let us not lose heart, and let us not live in fear nor be troubled. And certainly we can spend our whole time this morning on that very important point, but there is a second imperative from our passage. And that is, according to the the living hope that is given to us, that we are to continually honor Christ as Lord. This is vital in fighting fear. Because instead of fear and intimidation of loss or being troubled, Verse 15 says, But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy. When you know that there is nothing that can be done to you that can separate you from the the Lord, then there is nothing that can be done to you that you would lose your inheritance in Christ. And if that happens, then fear is replaced with delight. Fear is replaced with joy. And that joy is built upon the solid foundation of Christ Jesus, our Lord, who is holy. Fear is replaced with hope. Instead of giving in to those who wish to intimidate and devour, instead of becoming a slave to men and their sinful acts, instead of being fearful of what the world's world fears, we are filled with boldness and joy that moves us to no longer be afraid to honor Christ as Lord and as holy. And so then from the depths of our hearts, when fear is vanquished by Christ, we want to cry out, Christ is my King. That He alone is worthy. And he alone is worthy to come and adore. Do you see how in Christ our fear is replaced with joy and delight in him? To bring great glory to him and worship him. Of course, this call to honor Christ the Lord in your hearts is for all seasons and in whatever circumstances... However, how about for you in this season? You see, Christmas for us as Christians is not just about celebrating. In fact, it's not about celebrating gifts or trees or Santa Claus. The joy that we experience and that we have as Christians, the hope that we have as Christians, isn't some superficial spirit of the season that's heightened by lights, decorations, gifts, or food or sentimentality what we enjoy this time of the year, the hope that we are reminded of in this time of the year, the hope that we celebrate is the son of God who became man, who taking on flesh born in Bethlehem to a virgin named Mary, God became man. This is the incarnation. He condescended to fulfill the eternal plan of God to reconcile God and man through his substitutionary death on a cross that would take place 33 years later. The angel of the Lord had come and appeared to the shepherds the night that he was born, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And what happened to the shepherds that night? It says that the shepherds were filled with great fear. The shepherds had experienced that night A fear like they have never experienced in their lives. No wolf, no coyote, no lion, no thief, no attacker could rival the terrifying fear of the splendor of God. And what did the angels tell those terrified shepherds? In Luke chapter 2, they says, And the angels said to them, Fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Christ came to vanquish our fears of the the just wrath of God towards sin and our fear of death. He came so that we could be reconciled to him. And this is what Christmas means to us. This is what Christmas reminds us of. And it's what the gospel gives us hope. And this is why we continually, brothers and sisters, want to honor Christ the Lord in our hearts. Honor him as holy. How could you have any hope in your hearts if you are not honoring Christ the Lord? In your heart do you, brother or sister, honor Christ as Lord. That was a quick point. But to the third imperative, third command, to live according to the hope that is in us, is that you would always be ready. Verse 15, But in your hearts honor Christ as Lord, as holy always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good if that that should be God's will than for doing evil. The imperative in these verses is to always be prepared. Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who, who asks of the hope that's in you. I don't think that needs much explanation. I think we, we understand what that means. In fact, I think it's less. we need less explanation on what that means, and we need more preparation. We need more being ready and prepared to give a defense of the gospel, to give a, a, an explanation of the gospel. Have you ever been unprepared for anything? You know that sinking feeling of helplessness of now what? Oh, yeah, I've been there several times in school when you forget to do a study for a test or a quiz, things like that, or other unprepared situations that could be very much more serious, like in 2005 when Ryan was only five years old. hard to to believe. When Hurricane Katrina hit the Gulf Coast of Florida, Mississippi, and Louisiana, it caused massive damage. $125 billion in damage, 1,800 lives, more than 1,800 lives were lost. Despite, I know, even way back in 2005, there was still early warning for days that this massive storm was coming. The storm could not be avoided. There's not some magical space ray that we could spray and move it out of the way. It, couldn't be, it could not be avoided. It was coming. But the idea for the early warning is to be prepared. The levees in New Orleans were desperately need of repair. They needed to be upgraded. The reports for years from the Army Corps was, let's get these things fixed. It's only going to take one time. The city officials failed in proper evacuation using every resource at their disposal. There are pictures of yards and yards of school buses flooded that were never used to transport people out of the city. The list could go on and on, the dereliction of duty of officials, as well as the personal obligation of people who live there to prepare themselves or to evacuate. But the call here, brothers and sisters, is not a call to be prepared for natural disasters, but to be prepared at any moment to give testimony, to give a defense to anyone who asks of the hope that's within you. Remember we spoke earlier, we don't speak in fear, and we don't speak under the threat of being troubled or suffered or worried of being insulted. If you fear man rather than you fear fear God, then you will always be quiet. But the love for the Lord will always open your mouth. We speak with confidence in the truth of the gospel to honor Christ, yet we speak with gentleness and we speak with respect. We do not need to become defensive in our speech or even in our posture. We do not repay evil with evil or reviling with reviling. The character of our evangelism is that we speak with gentleness. That's humility. And we speak with respect respect for the one that we are sharing the gospel with and respect for christ to the honor of his name and for his glory we speak with a a good conscience verse 16 tells us meaning we do not speak in fear because we choose to honor the lord and we choose not to fear man peter knew the character knew the character of evangelism well because this is something that he practiced he not only preached it. But he practiced it. In Acts chapter 4, Peter and John were arrested for preaching in the temple. And they even had the audacity for healing a lame man on the Sabbath. Now here's an example for when you suffer for righteousness' sake. When you're doing good, and yet you still suffer for righteousness' sake. They were arrested, and they were questioned, and they were asked, what is this hope that's in you? Why are you speaking this way? Why are you saying these things? And they boldly, respectfully, gently proclaimed the gospel to those that had arrested him. This Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, the one whom you crucified, the Lord has raised from the dead. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Later in chapter 4, or Acts chapter 4, verse 12, he said, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name in heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Peter wasn't being arrogant, nor was he being rude, or nor was he being fearful. But yet with boldness he proclaimed the gospel when asked to give a defense for the hope that is in him. And when they told him, they told both of them at the the end, hey, stop. You're You're not gonna do this anymore. We're gonna let you go, but you're not gonna do this anymore. You're not gonna preach anymore. And this is what Peter said. And this is Peter displaying a very clear conscience. Verse 19, Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you Rather than God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and what we have heard. That's a clear conscience. That's a clear conscience to boldly proclaim what is right, what is true. Peter then speaks not only of the uh, of the the way that they evangelize, but also the. The, 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 the content of their evangelism, the content of our evangelism, which is the center point of our sermon this morning. We tell of the hope that has been given to us. Remember, the very thing that divides us, that's what we tell. That's what we show and how we celebrate. That's what we preach when we are asked. That's what we share what we, when we are asked. Our hope is not a Christmas wish, for a person, or for a present. Our hope is in the sound uh, expectation of eternal life, which is exactly what Peter has already taught us. Our hope is linked, our living hope is linked within the resurrection of Christ. We've already said that at the very beginning. It's linked right with the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and it's also then continually linked to when Christ returns. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 and 14. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, meaning those who are dead, that you may not grieve as others who do not have hope. Why? Because we have hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring him those who have fallen asleep the hope that is that is within us is not wishful thinking it's not a hope that we that we just think will work itself out in the end but our hope is written within the eternal truth of God's word that in Christ and through Christ we await a future inheritance that is a new life in him with a renewed physical body as Christ Jesus was raised from the dead, so shall we be. We now grow old. We get sick now. We deal with sin. We deal with rebellion in our hearts and the effects of sin in living in a fallen world. But when Christ comes, when Christ comes again in his second advent, our bodies will be made new, flawless, incorruptible to sin and sickness, and will be perfectly suited for new life in the new heavens and the new earth. Brothers and sisters, this is the hope that has been set before us. And this is the hope that is within us. And that hope within us then boldly liberates us to live holy lives now. Holy lives now that are obedient to God's word. And then boldly proclaim the gospel when asked to give a defense for the hope that is in you. To be ready to give a defense. This is that hope. This is that hope that overcomes fear. Oh, how we long for that day, right? Lastly, Peter tells us the context of our evangelism. In the last two verses, he says, If you share the hope that is in you, if you give a defense of the hope that is in you, and you do so with gentleness, respect, and with a good conscience, then listen, still, you still can be slandered. You can hold out the greatest gift ever. To someone, even this Christmas season, you give them the gospel and they still could reject you and slander you and call you, pick one. Thank you, Lord, I did not come up with one. They still, you could face slander. You still could be reviled for your good behavior. That is reality. That's the reality that these Christians are facing. This could be our reality. Sometimes it is in isolated places. Again, back to Peter and John in Acts chapter 4. That even though they spoke boldly the gospel, they gave these guys the good news. What was the conclusion of these authorities, these Jewish leaders? Their conclusion was, beat them and let them go to still beat them. But look what he says here in Peter. He says, That if it be God's will, then for doing evil for Christ suffered once for sins, the righteousness for the unrighteous. Excuse me. Verse 16. Who reviled your good behavior that in Christ may be put to shame. That when you're slandered and when you're reviled and just like in Acts chapter 4 when they boldly spoke the gospel and they were beaten for it, in the end, who was really put to shame? Was it Peter and John? When we read Acts chapter 4 today, do we look at Peter and John in shame? Or do we look at the Jewish leaders in shame? The Jewish leaders were trying to intimidate them and humiliate Peter and John to no longer preach the gospel. But they weren't the ones who were put to shame. It was the Jewish leaders. They're the ones who bear the shame. So in the end, if you are slandered or suffer at the hands of those who hate Christ, those who hate the gospel, those who hate the truth, those who hate God's word, even though they may exert this, a worldly authority over you, if you are doing good, then in the end, it is them who would be put to shame. That's the context of our evangelism. And it's the lens of the perspective that we have when preaching the good news. But it goes even further. It even zooms out even further Because Peter says that even though we may suffer, we may face hostility, lose jobs, opportunities, influence, that it is all if it be the will of God. If it be the will of God. Meaning the Lord is sovereign over all. What then does that do to our fear? What does that do for your hope? What does that do for your honoring Christ as Lord in your hearts? What does that do for your evangelism that even though you may face hostility, that it's all by the will of God? I like the perspective that Charles Spurgeon had. He said, I have learned to kiss the waves that throw me against the rock of ages. It's all used to increase your joy. It's all used for you to focus on that hope that is in you. And it's all used to give you more opportunities to share the gospel. And it's all to be used that Christ would receive all the glory. I want to close this morning in the same way that we started saying Merry Christmas and we can say Merry Christmas because we know what that really means it means that Christ has come our Savior has come and through him he has vanquished all of our fears so fear not death brethren. fear not destruction sister fear not loss or plunder beloved your heavenly Father will bless you. We fear not because we have a hope that is in us. In our hearts, we honor Christ as Lord because we have a hope that is in us. And we boldly proclaim this hope because it is the greatest news that ever has been proclaimed. So always be ready. Always be ready. Always be prepared. Always be ready to give an defense. Of course, this passage isn't just about Christmas hope. Christ hasn't just come, but he has suffered, and he has died, and he has resurrected from the dead. Our hope doesn't stop at the manger, but our hope goes to the cross. And then our hope doesn't stay at the cross because Christ was resurrected, and he was victorious over sin and death. Our hope is future because, again, Christ is coming again to bring the final salvation to all his elect and to make all things new. In that time, when he comes again, brothers and sisters, he will not come as a humble baby, but he will come as the king, the king of kings, riding a white horse with a flaming sword coming out of his mouth, the word of God. So brothers and sisters, Merry Christmas. Do not fear. Honor Christ and be ready. Be ready to have, such, to have the great hope within you that you may serve it to others this Christmas season. And all God's people say,